everyone. Welcome to the Wealth on Any Income podcast. I'm your host, Rennie Gabriel. We talk about tips, techniques, and the attitudes and mindset around creating wealth so that work can become a choice instead of a requirement. And uh, we're raising philanthropists. So welcome to the very first episode where I'm interviewing a guest. And uh, the guest this morning is kind of special from the standpoint that Dr. Dan Morheim and I went to elementary school together 60 years ago. And he brings a rather unique background to the conversation with 40 years as an emergency room physician, with 24 years as a Maryland state legislator, 16 years on the faculty of John Hopkins, the author of numerous articles in the medical and general media. And now we're going to be talking today about his book, with the title, Preparing for a Better End. We know this is a challenging topic, one we might prefer not to think about, but it is unavoidable. And uh, one, Dan will share how taking a few simple steps can address many of the concerns we all face. And it is, uh, in this country, not cheap to die. So uh, I'm going to ask Dan some questions. This interview will probably be about 15 minutes or less. And so um, let's start with uh, Dan. Dan, um, what were the experiences that might have opened your eyes to what people need at this point of life? Well, Rennie, thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks for all, all that you're doing with Wealth on Any Income. And it's great to have known you for so long. This is an issue that we uh, you know, do want to avoid. It's uncomfortable. I get it. But we are the first generation in human history that likely has some say about how we die. And my interest in this came out of being an emergency medicine physician and finding that I was doing things to patients that was not really care, but um, we were doing it anyways. And what I wanted was to be able to respect people's values, uh, do what they wanted and have them be empowered because their values and their decisions ought to direct the care that they receive. And so that's how I got into this issue. And of course, I confront it like every other human being. And when the end comes for me, like most people, I want to be at home uh, with family and friends around pain-free. I want the best that medical science has to offer. I love medical science, the advances I've seen in my career. And at the same time, when it's no longer servicing a purpose, I want to take advantage of the services that are available to help me transition from this life into the next. Uh, that, that's so perfect. And the reason it's such a close tie-in uh, to the wealth on any income is because I speak about providing complete financial choice. You're talking about having a choice with your life. I talk about having a choice with whether you choose to work or not work. And what you're talking about in your book is the most important because it's the last one you're going to make at, you, at the end of your life. So who would you say is the target market for the book? Well, everybody over the age of 18, every adult, I, I'd like to see advanced care planning be as normative as renewing your driver's license. But more traditionally, it's for people maybe 30, 35 years old and up who are maybe dealing this with this for themselves uh, or for their parents or their grandparents. And cl clearly anybody that's a senior citizen has probably thought about this, but it's not just for old people. The three most famous cases in American medical legal history were women under 30. And at this stage in our lives, we know that there's probably uh, more behind us than ahead. 
But when you're 20 years old, I tell you from my ER experience, people get in trouble catastrophically. So they need to be prepared too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's not limited to the elderly. Not limited to the elderly. And I, I we, we look great, Rennie. So I think we're going to keep going <laughs> for another 15 or 20 or 30 years. Uh, but and does come and it ought to be as well managed as we're trying to manage the rest of our affairs. And there are financial implications as well, certainly not only on a personal level, but on a societal level because of the amount of money that's uh, spent on end of life care, some of which is useful and some of which may not be. Um, what are, you know, cause I like to talk a lot about mindset when it comes to money and it, it, it's a, it's a fit for the feelings that people have at this point in life. What are the kind of typical feelings that people experience at this point? I think it's, uh, you know, anxiety, uh, but most often it's fear of the dying process, uh, advanced illness and, uh, fear that they'll be in pain. And both those things can be very well managed. I outline that in the book uh, in, in detail about how you can deal, the kinds of things that can happen and how you can manage them. And the book is a combination of stories, all real life stories, the names are changed obviously, uh, and, and practical advice. Here's some of the things that can happen. Here's how you might wanna manage them according to your, your views and values. And these may be dynamics that not play out just in the last days of your life, but over the last years of your life. If we got a bad diagnosis, how are you going to manage it? Uh, a difficult diagnosis. You may have years of good medical treatment, but you ought to call hospice early. Arrange for palliative care. Have these conversations. There's one other dynamic that's interesting, and you hear this from people who do have a serious illness. They say, you know, I'm sorry I got the cancer, but it's awakened me to the value of life and the people that I love. We shouldn't have to wait for that experience to have that happen. And the other thing that goes on in this dynamic is once you do this simple work, com which is basically completing free documents that are legal in every state called advanced directives that have been around since 1991. We collectively don't do this in a culture that says it values individual autonomy and rights. But if you do that, and then you just put it away, you don't have to think about it again, you're gonna feel a whole lot better about what might happen to you. Yeah, as long as someone knows or has access to those uh, directives, because if you just put it away and no one knows you've got it, that's not going to be of any value. You're exactly uh, right. Step one is complete them. Step two is make them available to the people who need to know, your family members, trusted advisors, uh, physician, attorney, whatever. And step three is we clinicians, and I'm speaking as 40 plus years as a frontline ER doctor, a big urban trauma center in the middle of Baltimore, um, is we need to learn to honor them but we don't see yeah. them, so it's a struggle. And, and medical care is only gonna get more complex. The kinds of decisions we're talking about are taking place right now, this minute, in every hospital in the United States. And I want people to be empowered about their own values. Yeah, and along with the advanced medical care that's available, there are also the skyrocketing costs that the family can be burdened with when the person in care ends up leaving. People can choose, I want the full court press or, you know, sort of the other end of the spectrum, pull the plug. But most of us don't do that. We choose the middle path. Give me all the best that medical care has to offer. But when the end is becoming apparent, uh, you know, I want to allow natural, I want a natural, natural death. But on a macro scale, let me just use Medicare as an example. Medicare is about eight or $900 billion, about 300 billion 
is end-of-life care. Mm. Now, imagine if we comp- all completed our advanced directives at 100% of the population instead of about 40% and about, about half that in the minority population, by the way, had completed this, we'd probably save 10, 20, 30% of that um, 300 million. And that's actually been done in a community called La Crosse, Wisconsin, where they uh, raised the rate of completion of advanced directives to 98% and saw their healthcare costs collectively drop. And then they could spend the money on more valuable aspects of healthcare. Yeah, about 30% of the money you spend in your life on healthcare spent in the last weeks of your life. Yeah. And if you're talking about 30% of uh, 300 billion for end of life care, you're talking about saving about a hundred billion dollars. Right. And that can go to prevention, can go to children, disabled people, all the other kinds of programs and and research, all the other things that we would, would like. But I, when I talk to people, I say, where would you like to be in the last days, hours, uh, minutes of your life? And everybody says the same thing at home with my family and friends pain free. Well, that can be achieved. Nobody says um, killed in a fiery car crash, <laughs> shot in a drive by. Nobody says I want to die in an intensive care unit long past any hope of recovery of a long chronic terminal disease tied to monitors and machines with my family kept 100 feet down the hall. Nobody says that. Now, <laughs> If I have I, I'm so surprised. <laughs> well, we can actually shift the likelihood to having that kind of experience, which is, you know, not, not only uh, good financially and personally, but it's a spiritual family experience that people used to have maybe 100 years ago. Yeah. It was much more normative. We're cut off from that experience. And so we're, we're missing something on the grand scheme and the grand cycle of life. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about a billion dollars saved here and a billion dollars there, you're talking about some real money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the usual way, unfortunately, that we deal with rising healthcare costs is we designed a system that's beyond complexity. Uh, we burden employers and employees. Uh, we increase deductibles and self-pay and co-pays and all that stuff. Here's, here's a way by you could save money on a macro scale. Uh, by just having people uh, rights respected if they will act and complete the paperwork. Yeah, it's just very short and very just choosing ahead of time. That's all it amounts to. Um, so my book is the Preparing for a Better End. The website is thebetterend.com and a very good source for advanced directives. It's free. Uh, my book is not free, but it's very nominal. Is uh, is I, know, uh, I bought a copy. I have it mydirectives.com. And the book's been endorsed by a great diverse group of distinguished people from the medical community, political, and faith-based and business communities. So I'm very pleased with that. So I'm going to put it in my show notes that if they go to the better end, the better end.com, um, they can get one of these resources for free. And you know they'll also see how to order the book. So that's perfect. Is there a question that I should have asked you that would give more value to the audience and then answer it? Yes, we recognize this as an uncomfortable, can be an uncomfortable topic. But, but what I've learned, and I was out campaigning for office and people saying, Delegate Warheim, uh, and I got elected six times, you know, what are you, what are you working on? I'd run through the issues and also, have you completed advanced directive? And people said, that's not a way to get votes. What are you, Dr. Doom and Gloom here? (laughs) But actually, the opposite happened because everybody's thinking about this at some point or maybe even experiencing it, but not sharing it. They may have a relative who's who's going through the dying process and they're struggling. So actually, people will be relieved 
if you're the one who brings it up in a family discussion, if you're the one, that may take several times to do it. It may take some several weeks or months for people to absorb. I get that. That was my experience as well. But it's actually a, it's a really good thing to bring up and have the discussion and thought because it makes you think about the value of life and, and the value of the people you care for. So it, it, it's kind of daunting at the beginning. I get that. But if you do it, you'll find that it really works well for you in ways that you won't expect. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, for my uh, first interview with a human being, instead of just me doing the podcast alone, I thank you for being my first guest. And this is a great topic and an important topic and certainly a perfect fit for creating wealth and avoiding the kind of costs that can happen at the end of life. So I thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, it's just great to have uh, been friends for 60 years. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you, Renny. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for joining me today for the interview with Dr. Dan Morheim. Healthcare directives can provide your desires at the end of life. Eliminate family friction over what to do and save tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars for your family. Here's your opportunity to grow. Go online and type in healthcare directives and get a free version for your state or location or contact an estate planning attorney and have one added to your living trust or will. Even a free version is better than nothing. Come back next week as I continue to read from my award-winning best-selling book, Wealth on Any Income. Bye-bye for now.